0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Boucher, and this is the AIF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AIF Exchange, we're going to continue our conversation on the impact and response of the COVID-19 pandemic with Douglas Holtzagen. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back, Kyle. Um, So we'll get right into things today. I wanna start by discussing how the reopening of the economy is going. This week, we've seen a lot of reports about the surges in COVID-19 cases in several states. Um, and this is happening as many of these states are reopening. From an economics perspective, how much should we worry about this?
1: Um, first of all, it's not really reopening. I'd always emphasize that we never fully closed, uh, mm-hmm. but we made a collectively a calculation that Uh, The lockdowns of the large swaths of the economy that we did were worth it in terms of the reduced infection and spread of the virus. And so the benefit cost analysis has always been the same. Another day of lockdown gives you diminished virus uh, um, infections and diminished transmission, but it carries with it the cost of lost economic uh, activity and lost income and all sorts of uh, diminished um, standards of living. So that's the balance. and. I think it's fair to say that you know, on a large scale, people have decided that we overdid the costs. And, and um, as a result, we're willing to incur more in the way of spread of the virus and infections. I mean, that's literally um, nothing's free, as, as the famous economics saying goes. And and that's the trade-off that we're faced with. How big that trade-off is remains murky, at least to me. I'm not a, an expert on these things. Uh, there's a recent research paper that that noted that when the, the Supreme Court judge in in Wisconsin tossed the, the lockdown that had been imposed, ruled it illegal, and, and overnight opened it up. Um, there doesn't seem to be associated with a large sh- jump in uh, cases. And mm-hmm. so how, how much of what we've seen is due to relaxation of lockdown versus other reasons for transmission, I just don't know. But I think most people think of it in terms of, you know, economy versus the public health, where are we? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, so states like Texas are seeing sort of like a surge. Yeah. How do you think like, that surge will impact the ability and willingness of other states to move forward with reopening? Yeah. Um,
1: I, I Again, I don't know. Um, I, I think we're pretty sure that not everybody in the United States has the same tolerance for risk. There mm-hmm. are some people who, due to their health or um, due to their, their, their basic nature, are exceedingly risk averse and want no parts of uh, engaging in life as it was a year ago, and there are others who are like, fine, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I look to be relatively um, uh, safe from the virus, and I'm tired of being in this apartment, and off we go, and there's a whole spectrum in between. And so uh, I expect for the the remainder of 2020, as we, as we learn to live with this virus, that we're going to see big differences in, across states and across people and across all sorts of uh, dimensions. In the willingness to to engage, you know, it's not going to be like everyone comes back to work. It's going to be okay. It's easy to get these folks back. What about these others? What do we what do we need to do to make them feel secure in what they do? And, and I, I don't actually think this is going to be easy either for the people or for uh, the government officials or for uh, any employers. I mean, this is going to be a tough tough thing to negotiate.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a policymakers perspective, to what extent do you think the the surge in cases? Um, that we were seeing in different states um, may shift their focus from reopening the economy back to the public uh, health concerns.
1: If you think about it from the the purely public health perspective, the main reason for quarantines, lockdowns and and, and extreme social distancing was to ensure that health systems and hospitals did not get overwhelmed. And so I think the key will be to um, not count cases. Uh, Cases turned out to be a slippery concept, especially when you haven't been testing. And so when you start testing, you find more cases, but hospitalizations, you see hospitalizations going up, uh, that's going to be a concern. And if you start seeing shortages of ICU beds and things like that, then, then I, I would expect that you will see the political leadership, the governors and mayors and like taking steps to, to sort of manage things because they'll worry about being unable to care for the sick.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one final thing on um, the surge, uh, to what extent do you think the surge in COVID-19 cases will impact consumers' willingness to re-engage with businesses, you know, go out to uh, Walmart or something like that, any one of those businesses, um, and workers' willingness to return to work? What other channels should we also be thinking about?
1: It's one of the most important uh, channels because this downturn was driven not by the lockdowns, but the thing that led to the lockdowns, which was, the American household saying, wait a minute, this is dangerous, I am not going out. And we saw this dramatic decline in, in consumer confidence in mid-March. We saw this dramatic, dramatic decline in household spending uh, also in mid-March. Um, April was was certainly exacerbated by all the, the, the sort of dictates for lockdowns and things, but, but the, the basic phenomenon was an enormous negative downdraft on the economy coming out of the American household sector. If they do not reverse their opinion of this, we won't come back long mm-hmm. quickly. That's for sure. So that's the most important thing to look at.
0: I think you made the point a couple of times. You know, businesses can reopen, states and governors can say we're reopened, but it's going to be driven by consumer yeah. saying we're reopen.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go buy something, or I'm willing to go to work. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. th- those are the key things here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just last week was my first time where I kind of decided that I'm willing to go sit on a patio and have a have a drink with a friend and and be all right, but. So it's going to take some time to rebuild that confidence among people, in my opinion. It, I think
1: you're right. And, it, and, it, and in some sense, it feels strange. I did something which I do many, many times, which is I went and I testified on the Senate side in the Dirksen building. Mm-hmm. And, but it was the first time I had been around people in a long time. And it felt weird. And, and of course, the setup was extremely weird because yeah,
0: I remember you sending us that picture and it just being like, what, what, is there any people in the room with him?
1: It was this enormous room with a relatively small number of people, two witnesses, and probably eight senators at most. The the chairman and ranking member were 25 yards away from me across the room. I mean, I they could have been anybody. I couldn't have identified them. That's a quarter of a football field. Yeah, I know. It was unbelievable. I can't <laughs> throw a football that far anymore. So they were a long way away.
0: <laughs> answer my follow-up question on that one then. Uh, so maybe not trying out for the Steelers this year. Okay, so how should policymakers focus on building confidence in the economy?
1: Well, I think you you have to essentially always ask the customer what they want. So, you know, what would it take to make you feel comfortable coming back to work? Is it testing contact tracing? Is it uh, mask gloves? Is it uh, uh, more distancing in the workplace? So workstations that are farther apart, lots of hand sanitizers. You know, What do you need in order to, to feel comfortable coming back? And, and I think- that's going to be a crucial part of this conversation and every employer is going to have it with their employees. I mean, we've we've had some of this already at AAF and and, um, you know, we aren't even in the clear, you know, from the mayor's point of view, to allow people
0: back in, but it's it's important to find out what it would take. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I do want to mention last week's surprise, uh, May jobs report Uh, many observers, including yourself included, um, noted that a significant, um, The significantly improved jobs numbers uh, would weaken the political urgency to get a phase four legislative package done. What are your thoughts today?
1: Uh, So first on the report, I
0: think that
1: the the real reason many people got it wrong, and I would be on that on the list of people who got it wrong, was uh, two things. Uh, Number one, we put too much emphasis on these new claims for unemployment insurance that come in weekly. It's the only data we really have, so sort of focus on that. But I don't think they mean what they used to because we've changed UI so much in the pandemic. We allow part-time people to qualify for it, self-employed people, independent contractors. It's a different group of people applying. It isn't just people laid off by their employers coming to ask for UI. And so we saw these big UI numbers and we thought, okay, there must be continued layoffs going on, but there weren't on Nets. There was hiring. And so I think that was the real source of the, of the, of the big miss, at least the way I think about it. Um, I don't think that, that good news, and it was good news, and no one should be confused about that. I don't think that good news should change your view of what the economy will look like in August, September, October. That's news we expected in June. We got it in May. Great. I'm all for that. But we still have a lot of work to do. And then the, the, the thing that we couldn't gauge was the impact of the PPP. And um, the Paycheck Protection Program got $500 billion out the door to over 4 million small businesses. And to qualify for forgiveness you had to get employees back who you may have laid off and, and there's a lot of reason to suspect that that's part of what went on
0: mm-hmm. so you would suggest that was a success then i
1: i, I thought it was a success anyway um, mm-hmm. this this seems to be evidence, further evidence in that direction um you know the, the program will, will continue and i, I hope that they run out of money they fund it uh, again there's a lot to be said for it i, I, I think whether you like it or not is different from the political reality that it does seem to have slowed down negotiations and progress on whatever the next legislative vehicle will be. Um, you know, there were there was talk of getting this done by June 30th because states had fiscal years that began on July 1st, for example, mm-hmm. and we, we heard the White House just say, well, the next round of negotiations will start after July 4th. So, you know, clearly the urgency has gone down uh, noticeably.
0: Mm-hmm. Has, has um, the expiration of, unemployment benefits and things like that, kept things moving in a, with a sense of urgency, or is that, what's going on there?
1: Uh, you, you, a good way to figure out when Congress will do something is uh, what deadline matters. Uh, the deadline on the on the federal unemployment insurance bonus, the $600 we, we've talked about before, is July 31st. So th- they're not gonna get it done by June 30th, but they're probably gonna get it done by the end of July. Something. Gotcha.
0: Something. Okay. All right. Finally, I want to turn to the impact on the energy markets. Uh, We discussed a few weeks ago that there was a drop in demand for oil and gas during the pandemic. But the Wall Street Journal reported um, this week that oil companies are turning this bigot back on, quote unquote. What's going on here? Is there is this a signal for uh, that demand is rising again?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty simple. Uh, When you think oil, you should always think globally. It's It's a globally traded commodity. And. It's not just some states in the United States that are opening more and, and, and generating greater demand for, for uh, petroleum products. It's across the globe. We've seen Europe, um, the United Kingdom, China, uh, lots of places where there's going to be increased demand for oil. And so we've seen a global increase in demand and prices went up. That relieves a lot of financial pressure on U.S. producers. And uh, as a result, I think they're in much better shape than we thought they would be a month ago. And, and um, we haven't heard talk of a wave of bankruptcies i'm not saying everyone's out of the woods yet but but things are doing better
0: mm-hmm. so do you think this will have a significant impact on the u.s economy specifically uh oil has turned into
1: a a um, interesting story in the U.S. it used to be that higher oil prices were just bad news for america that it had higher gas prices a tax on our consumers but it's really different when you own the gas station and since we have so much oil and become the leading exporter of petroleum products on the globe um higher oil prices help us on balance
0: Okay, and then does this have um, or does this tell you anything about the u s. Uh, recovery?
1: Uh, I think it it's it's directionally good news. There's more demand out there. In general, that's good news. Um, this is an important part of our uh, our productive capacity. That's good news. So you know there, there are a whole bunch of things where I, I think we well, just throw me in that briar branch. So you know higher interest rates. I pray for the day we have higher interest rates. Right, that that will mean we are out of the woods mm-hmm. uh, to a great extent. So there, that this is one of the things I'd be looking for. Higher, higher oil prices are good news.
0: Okay. Any final thoughts on anything going on with the pandemic?
1: Well, I think we're at um, an an interesting point. I, you know, I, I've written several times, and we've talked about this, that we have to change from a strategy of hiding from the virus and 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 sort of putting everyone in suspended animation with a lot of cash to policy strategies and, and, and uh, other things that will allow us to live and work in the presence of the virus because it's not going away overnight. And ultimately, we may eradicate it, get a vaccine, but that's not a, in my view, a 2020 thing. Um, as we're coming to terms with that, I think you're seeing some discomfort in some, some eagerness in others. And, and we're going to go through this period where we're a little all over the map in terms of what we're up to and how we feel about it. And, and I would just sort of anticipate that over the summer.
0: Okay. Well, Doug, thank you for joining us today. Um, And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.